Welcome, friends, to another Waterworks Ministries podcast. It's podcast number 10 for March 2017. I am here today with Dave and Sarah, owners and operators of Healthy Harvest Farm. And we are recording this interview today at Grace United Methodist Church in Center Hall. And so if you hear some background noise, either something that sounds like children's recess or drilling in concrete, it's probably what they are because there's construction going on downstairs and a preschool. Um, so we will work through that. But we are so glad that you're listening. And Dave and Sarah, welcome. Thanks Thank for having you. us. So tell me about when you started this, how you know how you got the idea, that kind of thing. Well, it started quite a while ago. We both worked on vegetable farms. Um, I guess that was in 2001 is when we both met and we worked at a vegetable farm. So we worked on vegetable, other people's vegetable farms for quite a while in the past. And then once we uh, realized that it was something that we wanted to do as a career, we started to plan on having our own vegetable farm. But the planning process really took quite a while. Uh, we both ended up working at Penn State University to save up money for a business mm-hmm. loan. And through that whole process, we were putting together a business plan and trying to get uh, money saved up enough uh, to qualify for a business loan. And so that whole process started, I would say, when did you start the university? 2006? 2005. 2005. So Mm -hmm. I think that's when we basically had our minds set that Mm -hmm. that's what we wanted to do. So it took from 2005 to us for us to uh, from from then to 2012 is when we actually opened up for business so it took longer than we thought but it paid off having that that process of of planning just intensively (laughs) planning and saving um i think it really paid off because after our first year of business we were able to to stay financially afloat and Mm. ever since then we've we've been able to do it full-time as our occupation and so Again, like I said, the planning process and just just saving up the money and also buying equipment as we uh, were saving up. Instead of uh, when we got our business loan, we got it a year in advance of when we were actually able to start up plant crops. And that whole year was was really good for us because I could shop around on Craigslist and, and all the different websites for used equipment and buy them at a, at a really good price as opposed to having our business loan just kind of dumped on our laps and having to start farming that from from the get-go mm-hmm. we'd have to we would have to scramble and buy you know new equipment as you know and and that cost a lot of money so that saved a bunch of money in the beginning um but yeah i guess that a mm-hmm. long-winded answer that's that's really interesting because that's something that i would not have thought of um, and a lot of people don't start that way we're kind of different in that way a lot of people get experience on farms um, and then they start their own farm and they work part time while they're farming mm-hmm. and they gradually try and save money and accumulate equipment. And um, we watched a lot of people do that. And it was a it's a huge struggle because your work farming, even no matter what the scale, if you're trying to make any money doing it is a full time job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so trying to do that while holding down another job just didn't seem like something we wanted to do. So we decided that we would farm not farm at all. And we actually joined our friend CSA for mm-hmm. many years. Um, and we're members of their farm to get our food. Um, we didn't even garden, 
I said, I don't have time. So <laughs> we were too busy. So we really spent a lot of time on the business end before mm-hmm. it started because we knew that once we started farming, we would have no time to think of those things or energy left at the end of the day to think of those things. And because we did that, we were able to, from the very first year, um, we supported ourselves full time on the farm, mm-hmm. um, which is not how it's normally done. And there's no right or wrong. We just knew for us, that's what yeah. we felt more comfortable doing. Um, mm-hmm. It felt a little bit less of a financial risk having money in our savings account and being able to qualify for loans. And um, that's the other thing we did. We bought all of the things we wanted right from the beginning using loans. Mm-hmm. Um, we just felt like the time it saved us enabled us to get so many more, um, grow so much more produce and get so much more income that it paid the loan off easily that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was worth it. It was definitely worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the CSA model, community supported agriculture, for those of you who don't know what that stands for, um, and why it's gaining in popularity at this point in time. Yeah, I think it's really gaining in popularity because people want to feel connected with where their food comes from. Um, there's a lot of talk about health, but there's also a lot of talk about caring for the environment. There's also talk about wanting to keep your people in your community. Um, and they, people want to see farms as they're growing up. They want their kids to go to a farm and play on a farm. It's, you know, we used to all have family members who had a farm, you know, generations ago, like my parents, they all knew people who farmed. Well, mm-hmm. people don't know people who farm anymore. So mm-hmm. in their family. Um, so this is a way to get that back in their lives. I think people mm-hmm. crave that. Um, but... When I was gro- when I was growing up, we lived in suburban Detroit and suburban Philadelphia, and I had no idea, you know, what garden plants even looked mm-hmm. like. Really, except my mom was an avid gardener, but you know, snapdragons and yeah. and roses and yeah. petunias don't really count. Right. So, um, we had I have one aunt and uncle who they had like a one or two acre plot in their, um, on their land that they farmed. Mm -hmm. And I was just astounded. Like I, you know, we'd go there in the summertime and I'd look at it and just how straight the rows were Mm -hmm. and, you know, that they grew it themselves Mm -hmm. and they didn't have to go to the grocery store. It yeah. was such a foreign concept to me yeah. as, you know, a suburban girl. And you yeah. can get a lot of food in that space, <laughs> one to two acres. I bet mm-hmm. they had a lot of good stuff. Oh, I remember the broccoli and the cauliflower. Mm-hmm. And, well, then they moved down to Texas, and they continued mm-hmm. to farm and do all of that good stuff. And they ended up having a couple cows and mm-hmm. goats. And mm-hmm. at one point, several years ago, when I was down there for a wedding, there was all kinds of pigs, you know, so, Mm -hmm. but they grow a lot of peppers, make all kinds of salsa. It must be a Texas thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They were all about their hot peppers and salsa that are probably harvesting right now Mm -hmm. with the Texas climate. But yeah, it's just that, that connection to where does my food actually come from? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and one of our favorite things is to watch the little kids. And so, you know, mm-hmm. we have people, we worked at other farms before we had our own farm. And so some of the people that are members of our farm now, one of them's graduating from high school this year and we knew him when he was four. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. four. And so we've watched him grow up and um, kids will eat things that they get from the farm that they would have never eaten before because 
well, it comes from my farm, they say. Well, that mm. comes from my farm, so I want to eat it. And so it helps parents get kids to try things that maybe they wouldn't be interested in. Um, <laughs> one member said, I hate to tell you, but a lot of things from the store come from your farm because it's the only way I get my kid to eat anything. <laughs> so I don't necessarily advocate that. But, um... <laughs> you know what? Whatever works. <laughs> Whatever works, you know. But they come and we make a huge effort to make them feel welcome. And, um, you know, we pick out – a lot of times there's produce that um, – is maybe not the right size or is a little funny. Mm -hmm. um, like we'll have a bell pepper that's tiny, but mm -hmm. it's cute. It's, you know, perfect mm -hmm. miniature of a bell pepper. And we set those aside and we give those out to the kids. It's like, oh, this pepper's mm -hmm. for you. And, you know, the kid will say, it's just my size. And, you oh. know, like, this is mine. I'm eating this one. You know, there's like, <laughs> go ahead. The mom's like, yeah, you go eat that pepper by yourself. <laughs> so there's a sense of ownership from the children that makes them not think of vegetables as a punishment or something gross. Um, it's something they feel connected to. Mm. Um, and that's something that I didn't think about when I first started farming. I started farming because I was into the environment and I cared about the health of the planet. Um, and then the longer we've been doing this, the more I'm connecting with the actual, I'm not hu a huge people person, so, but then the more I'm connecting with the people and um, seeing an impact that it makes in them. And, and even adults that are trying to eat better, but it feels really daunting. Um, joining a CSA and one like ours, we offer a lot of help on how to cook what we give mm. you. We have recipe cards. We have a ton of information on our website. Um, and I try and focus on recipes that are not necessarily gourmet recipes. They're something that you can make when you're tired at the end of a long day at work and you can throw it together and it's still good for you. Mm. Um, because, Bonus. yeah, I mean, <laughs> I cook at home for all our meals for the most part. Mm. So, and I'm exhausted at the end of the day after farming. And so... Mm. I want to eat what we grew, but I also am so hungry I can barely think straight. So it can't be complicated, and yeah. it has to be quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'd have to say one of my favorite things about the, the CSA or our CSA and our members is that um, uh, my favorite part is when a member will come in who is trying to eat healthy, doesn't really know where to start with cooking vegetables, and Sarah will show him a recipe of uh you know, one of our favorite dishes that's really healthy to eat and very simple to make. And uh, they come back the next week and be like, oh, that's great. And then a couple of weeks later, you hear them say, I never would have eaten this. And now it's a staple. It's something that we eat all the time. It's our family favorite. And um, that and, and also just introducing folks to new vegetables that they never would have tried before. Mm -hmm. Like some of our vegetables are a little bit on the odd side in the sense of um, like there's one called bok choy. And mm -hmm. it's basically an Asian green is sort of like a head lettuce, but it's bigger. It doesn't taste anything like lettuce, but we like mm. to eat it raw. We started eating it raw in a really? salad and it's our favorite way to eat it. And we actually learned from one of our members who tried it. She's like, you know, cause we always cooked it and we were telling mm -hmm. people to cook it. And she's like, I just ate this raw in a salad and I loved it. So we tried it and now that's our favorite way to eat it too. <laughs> so now we recycle that back to the members. We're like, you know, we love eating it raw in a salad. Cause I love bok choy. Yeah. And I've always, you know, I'm a big, let me stir fry it. Mm -hmm. I've traveled to Thailand several times. Mm -hmm. I love me some Southeast Asian food. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll, my staple is stir fry. Mm -hmm. Anything yeah. that I can chop up, throw in a pan, cook for 10 minutes, and then eat it, uh -huh. I'm great. Yeah. But that's really interesting about the bok choy. Yeah, the leaves, the leaves are very good. Um, they're very mild. And then the stems are great because you chop them up and they have like the texture of kind of like celery. It's kind of mm -hmm. crisp and juicy, but it doesn't have the celery flavor. It's it's pretty mild as well. And yeah. we, mix, we mix it in with some lettuce and other greens mm -hmm. too. But yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah, one of the uh, 
one of the requirements for when I looked at your CSA to decide whether or not to join was mm -hmm. kohlrabi. Ah. <laughs> My husband loves kohlrabi. Yeah. He mm -hmm. eats it. Like he just slices it. Mm -hmm. and that's eats the best it. way. Yep, that's my and favorite way. And I think he way. might put salt on it. Yeah. But mm -hmm. he was like, Karen, whatever CSA we do this year yeah. has to have kohlrabi. Does he like olives at all? Oh my gosh, he loves olives. What I my favorite snack in the evening. I used to just down pretzels all the time, and I realized that's probably not the healthiest thing in the <laughs> he world. He does that. Well, like what I eat half a bag yeah. in one sitting. What I found is a great substitute for pretzels, which is very bizarre, is cut up kohlrabi in the strips raw. And then put some black olives and the kohlrabi together. It has that salty and crunchy. Mm, and, crunchy. and I just love it. I can eat a ton of that. That's my new snack <laughs> of the evening. <laughs> That's fantastic. I will put that away in my memory yeah. banks. Well, and what's great about, so our system is a little bit different than a lot of CSAs. A lot of CSAs, and there's nothing wrong with this, they give you a box, which is a selection of everything that they've mm. harvested that week. Um, but we found that that was hard on a lot of people because... Not everyone likes every vegetable, mm. and it's not always obvious. Um, there's a lot of vegetables that you either love or hate, and if you love them, you want them all the time, and if you hate them, you're mad every time they're in your box. <laughs> and so how do you decide how often to put them in or what to give? It's just really complicated, and yeah. so we gave up, and we just set it up like a farmer's market with mm. bins, and you get to pick and choose what you want. You get mm. eight choices every week. Um, and a choice depends on what the vegetable is. So like a bag, a two pound bag of carrots counts as one choice. Mm -hmm. Where like a six ounce bag of spinach counts as one choice. But anyway, so you're all set up and there's all these different things to pick from. And if you love kohlrabi, you can take four choices worth of kohlrabi mm -hmm. if you want. You can take half your share in kohlrabi. Then there's a lot of people who are like, I would rather not eat that. Where are the carrots? Yeah. <laughs> and they don't have to ever eat a kohlrabi. You know, you yeah. can be as adventurous as you want with mm -hmm. us. Um, and what a lot of people do is they'll try something new. They'll be like, well, mm -hmm. I'll try kohlrabi. And then afterwards they're like, yeah, I don't need to eat that again. Or people who are like, I would have never tried that at the grocery store if I was buying it, mm -hmm. but I really like it now. So then they, they take it. So you get to experiment without being committed mm -hmm. to, you know, and red beets is a great example. You mm -hmm. either seem to love them or hate them. Mm -hmm. So you either seem to take multiple choices of them every week or you avoid them like the plague. And there is really, or you have a family where one person loves them and one hates them. And you watch them like have a debate and a negotiation about other things in their life related to the red beets. Well, if you take red beets this week, I'll eat them, but then you need to clean the den out because <laughs> so there's like a whole family dynamic that goes on about like wow. red beets or no red beets. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of debate that goes on around veggie bins. You learn a lot about people. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. I can see my husband and I doing that. Because yeah. I, I do like red beets, mm -hmm. but I, I'm not really a fan of the kohlrabi. Yeah. So yeah. I can see there being some serious negotiation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So... Tell me, I guess, a little bit about the history of CSAs. Um, what, I guess, what about them is, uh, I guess, important to the environment, like you said, mm -hmm. as well as knowing where our food comes from. Why are they, I'll say, staples of our communities? Yeah, well, I think that um, they're important for the environment because there are farms in your community. So people can check on how those farmers are managing their fields um, in a very visual way. I mean, obviously all of us aren't agronomists and we're not gonna know the finer details, um, but it makes people aware of where it's coming from. Um, and it makes the farmer connected directly to the person they're selling to 
So they feel a lot more, I feel responsible for the produce I give people. I mean, I wouldn't give someone something I wouldn't eat myself. I see them face to face every day. Um, there's the connection that way. Um, and it's also really important to the, it helps the farmers out a lot to have a CSA program. So it really is the community supporting the farm. Um, when you run a farm, most of your costs, most of our costs for the year are now already paid for. Mm -hmm. So we had to buy seeds, we had to buy in compost. Um, we spent all winter, Dave spent all winter fixing all the equipment, which takes mm -hmm. a lot of parts, mm -hmm. changing all the fluids in the tractors. I mean, all the, the so like the operating costs um, are a lot done in the winter before mm -hmm. anything's even been planted, let alone harvested. Um, and in our model, our members are paying us part of their share price now. Mm -hmm. um, so you pay the farmer when he needs the money the most, and then you collect your reward later on along with the farmer. Um, so that really helps the economy of a farm. Mm -hmm. The other thing, so it's the upfront payment, but it's also the commitment. So a farmer knows how much money they have to work with right from the beginning. There's not a guessing game. So if you're selling at a farmer's market or wholesaling, um, if you have a very um, terrible week, especially weather-wise. Like we've had mm -hmm. a tornado warning in State College already where we had a distribution day set up um, and everyone <laughs> came and got their veggies because darn it, they paid for them, you know? So, mm -hmm. but if that would have been a farmer's market situation, nobody would have come and all of that produce would have spoiled before our next market. Mm -hmm. And so even though through no fault of our own, we had wonderful produce to sell, we would have made no money that week. And that's a huge economic risk for the farmers. Um, and so I always think, some people think a CSA is an economic risk for the person who buys in. Well, what if they don't grow anything? Well, we always grow something. I mean, there's tons of vegetables available. It's really not a risk for the consumer. It just takes away our risk knowing that you'll come. Mm -hmm. um, people get in, especially today, everyone's so busy. Kids have soccer practice, kids have this. And the farmer's markets happen, but oh, I just don't have time to get there today. Mm -hmm. But if you've already paid for those vegetables, you make mm -hmm. time to get there. And I think that's the big difference in right now for CSAs. I don't think that maybe that's how they started out economically, but that's definitely how I think of it. I think of it is you've promised if I grow these vegetables, you will show up and take them away <laughs> because I really don't want them to all rot. Um, and everyone's so busy, they don't, you know, always make the time. Um, mm -hmm. Where we've also, for us, we've tried really hard um, to understand that. So if there's a week you can't come, you don't lose those vegetables. You get to use those eight choices anytime you want over the rest mm. of the season. And that was a risk for us at the beginning. We didn't know if that would work. Um, and we actually didn't do it the first year, but a couple of people asked about that. Well, I was gone last week. Can I take more this week? And what we realized is every week, a certain percentage of the people don't come for one reason or another. And every week, a certain percentage take extra. Mm. And so they've basically created their own community of themselves. You know, we, mm. we go through the same amount every week, even though some people don't show up, but the other people take theirs that week. And mm -hmm. So it's like they're trading without knowing it amongst mm. themselves. Um, mm. So really, I think it's the biggest economic benefit we see for the CSA for the farmers is we know people will come because they've already paid. Um, and we get all of our marketing and talking to people and all of that done in the winter when we have some time. And we don't have to worry as much about the business end during the summer when we're so overwhelmed with our field work. Mm -hmm. um, so that, and I think it helps the consumer because since they've already prepaid, it helps people keeping their commitment to eating vegetables. So a lot mm. of people, it's almost like you paid for your gym membership, so you're gonna try and go. Yep. Where if you didn't have to pay ahead of time, maybe you'd sleep in more and hit the snooze button. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. 
So I think that prepaying for your veggies helps people keep their dietary commitments mm -hmm. that they, they're trying to make as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I last year was my first year at a CSA and I was really surprised at the volume of food mm -hmm. that we got because it's only my husband and I. Now we get kale for our bunny. We have a three and a half pound bunny and she crushes kale. <laughs> she is very particular and she only likes organic kale. <laughs> well, of course. So, you know, I roll. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was, I personally didn't plan for the amount of time that it takes to store the vegetables and, you know, like chop them up and that kind of thing. So I was, you know, like pulling through stuff. I'm like, oh, I've got carrots from four weeks ago. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, oh, there's some rosemary that I didn't know I had or, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So with your CSA, do you give tips on how to store things and, oh, you know, absolutely. hey, yep. cut this all up and yep. throw it in the freezer tonight? Yep. The very first thing we do when uh, members show up for the first time for their pickup, we print off a chart that tells you exactly how to store and how long vegetables will store. Hmm. Basically, every vegetable we grow is on that chart. We do it on a real nice uh, cardstock piece of paper, so you can put it on your fridge with a magnet, and it's right there. And um, so we go through a lot of effort to, to make people aware of, of how long something can store in the fridge, what the adequate temperatures are. 90% um, of the time, it's, things work best if you have it in a sealed plastic bag in the refrigerator, and it will last a long time for you. Um, so we do that, but we also have uh, cards every week. Um, we have a, uh, an easel, for the most part, with a vegetable uh, information and also recipes for all, mm -hmm. all the different vegetables that we grow. And so there's information cards that we have that tell you uh, the storage tips and some cooking tips and how to you know quickly prep it type mm -hmm. of thing. Um, but yeah, we, we try to educate people as much as we can on how to how to store things. And, and some things will store remarkably long for you if, if, if it's harvested right and, and then stored right in the refrigerator. It should, it should last a long time for you. I think a big part of it too is, is harvesting the crop at the right time as mm -hmm. well. And so we try to do that on our end. Uh, to have something that's not overripe or, or, or about to spoil. And we do a lot of, of quality control uh, when we pick the produce, too. We make sure. We always have it in our head. It's like, how, you know, is, is this going to rot in somebody's fridge tomorrow? It's like, mm. no, that, that's either going to go to the food bank or just back into the soil as compost. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that is high quality and, and will store for, for a couple of weeks in people's fridges, that, that's what we, we give out. Mm -hmm. So I saw on your website that you don't use any synthetic fertilizers or pesticides nope. um, and that you lease 15 acres from an adjacent farm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How does that work? How is that arrangement? It it's actually, wonderful. Yeah, it works great. It's so surprising because it, it's funny though when you think about it. We So our house with all of our infrastructure is two miles away from the fields that we mm. grow the produce on. So we have our house, we have our greenhouses, mm. we have our coolers and our shed, our storage shed is everything at our house. And the fields where we grow our produce is 15 or two miles away. So we go to the fields, we harvest the produce, bring it to our house, clean it up, put it in the coolers, uh, bag it and weigh it and all that kind of stuff. And then our distribution is at the farm where the fields are. 
So then we bring the produce back from our house, back to the fields, and then give it out to the members. But it, it really is the best way for us. With the lease agreement, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to build all kinds of infrastructure on mm -hmm. the leased ground. So yeah. we have all that on our own property, mm. which is an acre and a half at our house. And then the, the fields um, is just where we grow the produce. Mm -hmm. And it works out really well. Um, the landlord is fantastic. The family's really great. Um, it really is the best situation we could come up with for us economically there's no way we, we realized pretty quickly there's no way we could afford to buy our own farmland mm. and run the business uh, profitably so we looked at leasing which wasn't our favorite idea because you never know what you're going to get into with mm -hmm. that and you're kind of basing your whole business on on land that could be pulled out from under mm -hmm. you and then your business collapses so that was a big concern of ours uh, mm. going into it but the relationship with the landlord has just been fantastic and mm. it just gets better every year and and we just mm. feel like we're part of the family. So um, that that was a pleasant surprise uh, that the relationship's been really good. But on top of that, the soil that we're leasing has to be the best. It definitely is the best soil I've ever farmed. Mm. And I'd say it's, it is the best quality farmland in Center County. It's, it's um, Hagerstown silk loam, so it's prime farmland. And that was by design. We were looking at, at farmland. Mm -hmm. We were looking at the soil maps and we were looking at places at least. So we, we definitely didn't want to get subpar soil because farming is hard enough. Mm -hmm. Doing it in really yeah. bad soil is, is a disaster. So we wanted to have as much of an advantage as we could with really great soil. But you can have really good quality soil listed on the soil survey. But if it's managed bad, then it's going to be bad soil even though it's good soil listed. So what we quickly found out was that the mussers did a fantastic job of managing that soil. Mm -hmm. It was in um, no-till farming for quite a while, so there was a lot of organic matter in the soil. Um, and so when we came onto the scene, I was actually afraid that we were going to make the soil worse with our practices. It was oh, one wow. of those situations where when you go into an organic situation you think oh i'm improving the soil you know the soil is mm -hmm. going to be better than how i found it where when we got there the soil was in perfect condition and it's like boy i hope we don't mess up the soil because <laughs> <laughs> that would be going backwards but so we got there the soil was just amazing um and so we keep track of it every year with soil mm -hmm. tests and, and so we're keeping it even so that that's the mm -hmm. best we can do we don't need to improve it we just want to keep it as, as good as we found it. And so, yeah. so yeah, it's been great. There's also benefits to our members by leasing um, from the Mussers. They used to do um, dairying, and they had a dairy store, and they still keep that store open, but they've transferred to grass-fed beef. Hmm. And so people who come to our Belfont pickup have access to local, right there, grass-fed beef hmm. in all different cuts. They carry local eggs. They carry um, local poultry and pork, I think, from other people. It's not theirs. Hmm. Um so there's access to other things that are local foods if you mm -hmm. go to our Belfont site. Um, so that's been, I think, a, a bonus for yeah. our members as well. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people, um, and the Mussers make amazing yogurt that they make there. So they make this really thick Greek yogurt. So a lot of people, when they come to the Belfont pickup, also go into the store that mm -hmm. we share that, you know, we're using that parking lot. Um, and they pick up other things they need. So mm -hmm. it makes it a little bit more convenient that you're getting not just your vegetables, you're getting some other mm -hmm. food shopping done at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, and that's good to know for me this year because I have been looking for what I will call alternative sources of, you know, chicken mm -hmm. and and eggs and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And I'm surprised how difficult it is to find what I will say mm -hmm. local 
stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the mustard store is really kind of, it's a neat place because they'll pull from the community and it's just the neighbors around mm. that are the ones that sell, that they'll sell it on consignment at the shop. So you have folks that aren't really like full-time farmers. Maybe somebody just has a backyard mm. operation of chickens or uh, I remember one year, uh, I think it was one of the neighborhood kids was raising, um, was it geese or ducks? Ducks. For their 4-H project and they were laying, you know, these really beautiful duck eggs. And so they were selling those in the shop, you know, so it's all just like, it's, it's really kind of a neat community there. It's just the neighbors selling their goods in the shop, but also you have, you have bigger operations selling through there too. But I'd say a good part of it is local, you know, of the, of the produce that, or the food that's sold through the, through the shop. And then you have a lot of local artisans that, that sell their stuff there too. So there's all kinds of crafts. interesting yeah, crafts mm -hmm. and gifts that you can buy there. Well, the more you talk about it, the more excited I am. Yeah. I'm like, when are we, you know, yeah. oh, the, you know first week in June, the first Tuesday. I can't wait. Yeah, in fact, the, the guy that drilled our well for growing the vegetables on the land, he, uh, as a hobby, he, he makes maple syrup. Mm. And it's really good stuff. And so, you know, uh, we told him, you know, they sell that kind of stuff in the shop. You should talk to him. So now he sells his maple syrup in the shop, too. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> So you it's could, really kind of neat. There's also a local guy who does honey, and yeah. he has some hives. He has hives all over, but he has some hives on our farm, on the on the land we lease, and he sells his honey in the shop. So, yeah. so there's all kinds of things you can get there that are yeah. that are pretty good. Speaking of bees, mm -hmm. I have seen on Facebook there's like this Cheerios thing where you can sign up and get like 500. You can buy 500 bees or something like that because they're, you know, they're, they're not doing well significantly. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, does your choice to not use synthetic pesticides and fertilizers have anything to do with the ecosystem? And Definitely. So my background, I, I have a degree in ecology. So for a while mm -hmm. I was a, a field technician in ecology. Um, mm -hmm. So. Um, we definitely always think of our farm as a living ecosystem. And so we're always very aware of what we put in that ecosystem. Um, so we don't use anything artificial. We don't use anything that wouldn't be approved in or certified organic operations. Um, and any sort of, we try really hard um, to not spray any pesticides. Um, the few we do use are um, natural products that are approved by the organic board. Um, but even those, they, you know, you're killing something. That's what you're spraying for. So we try and use those sparingly. Um, we always think about not only the health of, we think about two things, the health of the environment we're spraying it in. Um, and we don't spray things that are toxic to bees. And if we do, the things we spray have a very short um, lifespan on mm -hmm. the plant and we, bees don't go where there aren't flowers. I mean, there's no reason for them to go certain areas. We do it when it's not windy, there's no drift. Um, and so we've never had a problem with the hives that are on our land. And so they're a really good indicator that we're not doing something to kill bees mm -hmm. because we have a population there yeah. that the beekeeper would let us know if something mm -hmm. was wrong. Um, and we also, we're the ones that spray it. We're the only people working on this farm. And so mm. I'm not going to spray anything that's that toxic because I don't want to be around it and I don't want Dave to be around it. Um, so um, one of the things we spray a lot of as an example is um, a neem oil spray. Um, and the neem tree people have been using for a long time and it's even in a lot of cosmetics and lotions mm -hmm. it's actually healthy they say for people in certain things so spraying that doesn't really mm -hmm. scare me as far as you know me consuming the product since we consume that on purpose in our lives a lot mm -hmm. of times um, we also use um, 
Yeah, one of our products yeah. we love to talk about, it's it's actually clay. That's all it is. It's kaolin clay. It's the same type of clay that's found in pottery. Hmm. And so what we do, uh, they, they produce it into a powder. And you can buy this powder and mix it in with water, and it becomes like a milky kind of consistency. So we'll spray that over some plants. If there's bugs that are starting to eat the leaves of the plants, we'll spray that on the plant. And what it does, it coats the plant with this white milky liquid clay and then when it dries it becomes a powder and it's the equivalent of um, getting like sawdust in your eyes or, or whatever it's uh, you know the bugs land on the plant and then it's covered in this powder and it gets in their antennas and their wings and they don't like it so it's like having a, a gourmet meal set in front of you and somebody coming along and dumping sawdust on top of it it's like well that kind of ruined the meal I'm just gonna move along and eat mm. something else I don't want to eat that so that actually works pretty well um, as just a physical deterrent mm. for the plant or for the for the pests and so we do a lot of that actually we try to just to deter the pests from mm. even coming in and and bothering the plants and one of our other tactics is using a uh, they call it row cover and that's exactly what it is it is it's just a big sheet that you put over the rows of plants and you tack it down and it just acts as a physical barrier the bugs can't get through mm. that sheet and so they can't get to the plants but the, the sheet is made out of this material where the sunlight goes through uh, and the rain actually goes through too. So it gets plenty of, of sunlight, it gets plenty of rain, and it actually kind of heats up the soil a little bit. It traps that moisture and, and, and temperature in the soil, so it actually promotes the plant to grow quicker. So you can actually get a season extension from that. You can get plants earlier or you can protect the plants from frost damage later on in the season. It kind of makes a little environment for it, but we don't really use it for that. What we do in the spring, we use it for frost protection, but really what we use it for is for the bugs so they don't get in there. And um, we weren't quite sure if it was that big of a deal with the bugs. And one, I think it was our very first year, we got lazy. <laughs> we planted broccoli. We had a lot of broccoli, and it was eight o'clock at night. Yeah, it was, I was the end of the day. So the, the one row of broccoli, we're like, you know what? We'll cover all this broccoli. I just don't have it in me to cover this last row. Let's do a scientific experiment and see what <laughs> yeah. happens here. And so we let it go, and boy, did that really make a difference. Um, when we took the row cover off, uh, when the plants were big enough, they're all planted on the same day. But the ones that were covered were about three times the size of the ones that weren't, and the ones that weren't were eaten. They had all these little holes from these bugs that were eating it, and it really did look like it was planted three weeks later, but it was all planted at the same time. And I don't think we even got any broccoli off of that row. It, it, it just... They died. Yeah. It <laughs> they just, got skeletonized uh, yeah, by all the things eating them. Wow. So that, that said it for me. It's like, we have to do that every year with our broccoli, and, and we do that more and more with our crops. We, we use a lot of this row cover. So yeah, when you drive by the farm, you see these big sheets of white <laughs> in the fields. That's what it is. It's just a, just bug protection. Do you have bigger pests like groundhogs? And we do. Yep. Deer, like yep. deer. Like what about bears? Yeah, they do come onto the farm every <laughs> once in a while. They don't cause any damage though. Um, I've seen on other farms uh, certain things bears like. They love sweet corn. Um, mm. So they can really make a mess of that. But most other vegetables they kind of leave alone. So we haven't had any problems with that. But deer and groundhog, they'll come in. The things with the thing with the groundhogs, and I can't quite figure out why, they're not a big problem for us. They, um, I think a big part of it is that when we set up the farm fields, we planted uh, clover 
as grass roadways for us to drive on around the farm. So we have this big line of clover all around the fields and nine chances out of ten whenever I do see a groundhog it's coming out of the tree line and the first thing it finds is the clover and so it's nibbling on the clover they they seem to love the clover so they really just kind of eat that they don't really venture into the fields uh, that often so we don't see a whole ton of damage from groundhogs um, every once in a great while the deer will make an appearance and the things that they love are, are lettuce Mm. They'll go crazy over lettuce and red beets, of all things. And chard is, is mm. related to red beets, so they'll eat chard and red beets. And they love the tops of the beets. Um, so what we do with the lettuce, we always put row cover over the lettuce anyhow for producing it in the summertime. So that acts as a physical barrier so the, the deer don't bother the lettuce. But the beets, um, they were starting to chew on the beets pretty, pretty bad, so I learned a trick from one of our uh, members he was saying that he grew up on a, a dairy farm and they would grow sweet corn and what they would do the deer would eat the sweet corn all the mm -hmm. time they would spray hairspray around the perimeter of the sweet corn and what that does it creates a human scent and, and mm -hmm. deer are very very sensitive mm -hmm. to smell and if they smell anything that's remotely human they get spooked and they run away so i tried doing that and it worked for a little bit, but then they got used to it. Yeah, so they don't they, like Aquanet yeah, they don't on like a sweatshirt. <laughs> so they don't that, like 80s hair. They're very afraid of 80s so hair. So I, I took that theory and yeah. just kind of went with it. And so then I switched it up and used Old Spice cologne. Hmm. And that worked for a little while. And then they got used to that. Mm -hmm. So then one of our members recommended there's a spray that I guess uh, teenagers use. It's called Axe Body Spray. <laughs> that was going to be my next <laughs> question. <laughs> I've never heard of it. away with Axe. <laughs> yeah. I've never Teenage heard boys of... are apparently very scary. They are. <laughs> in I've, so many ways. <laughs> I've never heard of that product before. So somebody mentioned it. So I went to the Weiss grocery store and I go in the aisle and I'm like, holy cow, there are like 18 yeah, varieties. Yeah, there's like a yeah. bunch of different varieties. So I loaded up the cart <laughs> with this Axe body spray. And so now, you know how you rotate your crops? I rotate the scent <laughs> of that and it's been working like a charm. I haven't had any deer, That's any deer damage. And what's, what's great is we don't, just to make it clear, we don't spray it on the crops. Oh, no, I spray it around the perimeter. Well, we have a shovel that has an old sweatshirt on it. Well, several shovels with old sweatshirts. Yeah. And then you switch to plastic bags. But yeah. we put them on stakes, and then we spray something that's on the stake. And so it, like, blows in the wind and smells. And so yeah. it's got the movement, and it's like our version of a scarecrow. And yeah, it's worked yeah. pretty well. And sometimes it scares me, especially when yeah. we used Old Spice, because my dad all growing up used Old Spice. <laughs> I was moving down the field picking things with my back to where this steak was and as I got closer I smelled Old Spice and I looked at him like where's my dad like I thought he showed up at the farm where'd he come from I didn't hear him drive up and then I'm like oh no wait that's not him that's the scarecrow uh, I'm pretty sure the manufacturer manufacturers of Axe did not intend for it to be used as deer deterrent yeah but no I'm it repels women as well. Yeah. So, you know, women, deer. Yeah. It's all mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. I think the row cover we talked about that we put over for um, other reasons for the insects also help with the deer because it, when the wind blows, it like floats funny. And so mm -hmm. there's always movement and we're moving where that row cover is constantly. So when they get used to where it is, it gets to a 
different field. And so I think, I mean, we see deer that run, there's deer prints a lot and deer are in that area a lot. It's not like we don't have deer, but I think our area kind of just freaks them out. It's like, there's always mm. things blowing. It smells bad. I don't know. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds awesome. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So what else would you like to tell us about your farm, your CSA? Hmm. We still have a few members. I'm going to plug. We still okay. have a few openings. Sure. We have um, 15 spots left. Yep, think, 15 spots here. So left. we're still taking people. Um, yep. our, our pickup starts June, first week of June, and runs through till November. And so through that season, there's all kinds of different vegetables that we grow to try to we try to keep uh, a continuous supply of certain key vegetables. Um, we've figured out how to grow lettuce all summer long so that you'll mm -hmm. have continuous lettuce from the beginning of June all the way through till November. Um, and we try to do that with carrots and, and the staples that mm -hmm. uh, people really like. Uh, so we try to keep a lot of the a lot of the staples available all throughout the share. So the carrots, potatoes, onions, mm -hmm. um, lettuce, those types of things that people really like. We try we grow a lot of that. Um, and then we like to kind of pepper the rest of the share with, with interesting vegetables that mm -hmm. people might not have tried and things like bok choy and, um, different types of melons that we grow. Uh, mm -hmm. we grow the standard watermelons that everybody likes and cantaloupes, but then we try to branch out and grow new melons. There's one that we trialed last year. It's an Asian melon called sun jewel that people just fell in love with. So mm -hmm. we're going to grow a lot more of that this year. Um, so yeah, we like to, like to try new things and have people try out mm -hmm. new vegetables mm -hmm. and have that become a staple as well. Like bok choy is a great example. When we first started growing that, everybody's looking at it funny. I'm like, what is this thing? And now it's it's a crowd favorite. It's you know, we, go we go through a lot through of bok, a choy. Lot of bok mm. choy. So it's great. It's great uh, having people try new things and mm -hmm. have it become a staple of their diet. Mm -hmm. For the bok choy question, does part of it grow underground or is it all above ground? Yep, it's all, all above, above ground. ground. Yep. So those are the big fat stems. Just, yeah. They just sit oh, there look, beautiful. And you just chop it off. Yep, it grows just like a head of lettuce. You cut it right at the base and it's there. It's yeah. beautiful yeah. growing. It really is. Yeah. I really love mm. bok choy. <laughs> and kohlrabi is another one that looks like an alien. I mean, it grows all above ground too. And it it just sits there with this big bulb of a thing that looks like a spaceship with weird leaves shooting off of it every which way. Mm. But yeah. <laughs> And we do have two farm days. Um, one is in May and one is in September for our members and anyone who's interested, actually. And um, we try and make that really interactive. Mm -hmm. So the kids, it's a big kid day. I mean, mm -hmm. for the kid and all of us. I mean, a lot of the adults are in the dirt as much as the kids are. But we try, especially in the fall when there's a lot of harvesting. Like, we'll run our equipment so people can see mm -hmm. how the, everyone loves tractors. I don't care how old you are, you love tractors. <laughs> so, like, Dave will get on the potato digger. And that's mm -hmm. a really fun, interactive thing to watch the potatoes fly out of this thing. And then... Um, the kids run around and dig in the dirt and find all the mm. potatoes. So um, we, we make everyone really dirty that day. Um, <laughs> you know, and different, you know, we just like to get people interactive and see people like what kohlrabi looks like growing mm. and what bok choy looks like growing. So we walk through the fields and everyone gets to pick things and mm. be their own harvester for the day and mm -hmm. see how mm. things go. So we do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And it's not just for kids. We have a lot of people without kids that come. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to share? Uh, I can't think of anything else. Well, we're super chatty. I think we chatted <laughs> ourselves out. 
<laughs> well, this is great. You can find Healthy Harvest at healthyharvestfarmcsa.com. And yeah, make sure you get your share. $675, yes, right? for the summer. 325 due when you sign up. Mm -hmm. And then 350 due... July 1st. July 1st. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. No, I'm now even more us. excited yeah. about my CSA <laughs> than I was before. Thank you for um, having us. Yes, awesome. thank you. All right, guys. Have a wonderful day. Hope you enjoyed this podcast.